Hail, hail. Good evening, folks, and welcome along to the latest episode of the Endless Celts podcast. Uh, my name is Anthony, and the host chair for tonight. Delighted to be joined by two of the show regulars. First of all, S- semi regulars. <laughs> uh, Mr. Francis Carney, how are you doing, my man? I no bad, no bad. We bit a disaster at work the day, being in, working in Castells, and before everybody asked, I they did let me out. Nah, there you go. There you go. It's always, always good to have you on, my friend. <laughs> and of course, making his return fresh from his stint as the resident Chris Tarn on the New Year's quiz show. A very tremendous episode, may I add. If you haven't seen it, uh, check it back out. Um, I've just a bit sobered up from it. Uh, John Tomlinson's back. Going to give us some of those views that he's been penting up over the last mm-hmm. few months. How are you, mate? I'm good, man. It's good to be back. I've missed this. Just talking about Celtic, like quizzing that was cool coming back and doing that, but it was it's, it's good to just get back at, to regular business, so to speak. Uh, so can afford a light bulb, sir. <laughs> what do you think this is all? Uh, this illumination is coming uh, to. It adds to his dark and mysterious look. persona. Uh, See the light uh, in the back. Listen, that jumper's lighting up the whole room for uh, the whole studio for the the uh, lighting, man. So we've got, we've got uh, the light versus the dark here. And uh, welcome along, everybody in the show. We've already seen our good pals over at the bus. So, uh, give us a, a shout out, plus uh, all the other regulars. So, welcome along, folks. Plenty well, that, to get through tonight. Uh, cheers, guys. And of course, John's uh, he's the man with the buttons tonight. He'll be bringing up all the comments. So, by all means, get involved in the chat. As I say, plenty to get through tonight. Um, Franny, I'm just going to we're just going to get straight into it. Saturday was our first. Home league game in 2023 uh, back at Celtic Park with the our visitors from Ayrshire Kilmarnock were uh, in town. Uh, but we got it was a bit of a stodgy start. First half was a bit flat, not nothing much happening. But we got a goal just at the right time, and uh, second half was more of a normal service was pretty much resumed. But what was your own thoughts on the match? Before we talk about that, Anthony, I. In case anybody's worried, I'm still top of Super 6, right? We just take that for granted. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the game, it was, I mean, it was that old cliche when it? it was certainly a game of two halves anyway. I mean, we had, I think it was, I think they said it was, the, the stat came up, it was about 70 odd percent possession, but I think it was Willie put in the group chat, nailed it. Like, we weren't really doing much in the final third, but the passing wasn't great. I don't think in the final third, they've got to kind of credit. Uh, Kilmarnock, but they were they were structured, they stuck to the game plan. You could see it was obviously like many teams are doing now, it's coming in and they've got a game plan, it's to stay in the game as long as they can, try and play in the counter attack and things like that, maybe play for set pieces. And I just think sometimes we do it like the passing was a wee bit laboured. There was no nobody really apart from Hatati was trying the difficult pass, but it was having one of the games up till the second half anyway, we won't go on it, but uh, the first half, he was certainly not not really seemed to be coming off. He has the games where he'll, he'll try the difficult pass, and he looks. When he's a terrible football player, but he doesn't look a good football player because nothing nothing comes off for him. And I don't think Kyogo's movement was was great for for people in Maeda. I thought had was having another good game, but his final ball something as a wee bit to be desired. Although he puts a great one in for the, the goal and stuff. He, Bernabe's passes, who one minute, a bit like Maeda, one minute looks 
a world beater and next minute looks a really bad football. His passing sometimes is terrible, <coughs> I think. Like he can play can he play a wee five yard pass, but then he plays that defence button pass into Maeda. And then Maeda gets a great crosser uh, in and then Jota kinda just doing his inner inner bad and creeping in. I know he was at the middle of the goal, but creeping in off the wing and just getting there in front. I don't know how he gets there in front of Kyogo because he's behind Kyle. Nice Kyle's just missed it, but it's that one as well. We just score at the perfect time, just before half time. Then we come out second half, and we're an absolute. Ange must have gave them an absolute rollicking because we were an absolute different, different team. Hatati just everything was coming off from then, and he's an absolute. The team I think is a lot different when he's on it. When he's managed to do that, we drop the shoulder and get away from boys. He's playing it through through lines that frees up a lot of space for uh, your guys like Moy and uh, McGregor and stuff and. It just it brings everybody else into the game. It creates more space when our midfield's getting moving the ball a bit quicker and things are coming off. It creates that space and stuff. And yeah, the the second goal was a wee bit of carbon copy. A bit of the the first goal just crossed into the box, and I don't know if Kyle was still getting credited. But I don't even know if he got got a touch on it, but uh, it was he's in there. The defender has to slide in to try and stop it. And it it goes in. It was uh, it was cruise control the second half, like absolute cruise control. That's right, John. Um, I think Franny kind of had the nail on the head there. As have many in the in the chat that you've already brought up as well. It was a proverbial game of two halves, and um, just there was a lot more space. A lot, everyone just seemed that little bit quicker uh, in the second half. But again, it's just another. You would want to say routine one now <coughs> under Ange, and another three points on the board. I uh, definitely, uh, like you said, the, 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 a bit of lackluster first half, getting the goal at the right time, though. I think that kind of settled some nerves getting into the second. Uh, and like you said, I think Andrew obviously had a word with him because um, I've came out and up to another couple of gears the second half. Uh, but it, it's the same old story, like Francis alluded to. You, you go to these places and you're playing against these teams and these guys, these teams are just, they're almost playing for a draw. That That's the sort of the, the, the best outcome, I, I guess, that they're looking for. Um, they will try and hit us on the counter-attack and create chances where possible um, but we play a brand of football at the minute where we don't we limit the amount of times that we're able to or the chances that they can create very very few times I've seen this season where teams are actually coming at us uh, and, and creating chances themselves it's all, it always seems to be through a misplaced pass or, or um, just getting hit on the counter and things like that so uh, it, it, we create what frustrates me at the minute is the amount of chances we're creating. You see, how many times did we see in that command game that ball fizzing across the box and there was just nobody there? And then at times you're maybe screaming, oh, well, Kyogo's not getting on the end of these balls or Maida's not getting on the end of these balls. Maybe we should switch things up and then these guys end up putting them up and scoring the goals that you need anyway. Um, but I, 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 listen, it, it's, we create that many chances that you, you, you expect that we're going to score goals. And that that's almost seems like a given at the minute. It, it's just a matter of when. Um, but I think the longer matches go on, where you don't score, it becomes a wee bit more frustrating. Certainly for me, anyway, watching it, you're like, just what is it we're missing uh, up front? Where, like you say, because you're dominating possession, you're creating multitude of chances, and there's just there never seems to be somebody at the right place at the right time, um, which can be a wee bit annoying. So, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's you're sort of clutching at straws as well with that statement because. You're, you're dominating games and you're creating these chances and there's no much to complain about because the football we're playing is excellent at times. It's just a case of 
getting on the end of these balls. And teams are lucky. The, the teams that we're facing are lucky that there isn't any people there because some of the score lines would be absolutely ridiculous. And it, it looks more favourable on name that they managed to limit this or, or that the scoring is limited. And I think Kilmarnock were sort of victim of that. And McInnes has just came out and said the same thing. That he's echoing other manager sentiments where they're saying, this might be the best Celtic team I've came up against. And that says a lot about the brand of football we're playing because although it was only the two goals, he's seen a team playing in such a dominant fashion and, and controlling the ball, controlling the game for such long periods of time and constant attack after wavy attack after attack. It's, it is great to see. And like you say, it's sort of routine at the minute. Um, but again, you, you sort of worry about complacency when you're going maybe 45 minutes without scoring and you seem to be a wee bit off the pace for 45 minutes because it's 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 no what we'd expect for an Ange football team, I guess, so to speak, at this stage. <clears throat> well, that, that's, I suppose, that, you know, it's, it's something I've mentioned in the group chat as well, you know, the, the, the frustration of not being able to convert the very many chances that we're creating. But I, again, I suppose as long as we're getting the results... And of course, it would be even felt uh, the biggest problem. The problem we would have is if we weren't creating chances. So it's it's the, the old saying goes, "We're due someday a proper scudding, I think, and uh, mm. hopefully it's not too far away. Um, so but just yeah, to touch definitely. On that frustration. Obviously, you'll be able to answer it better than us, Anthony. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the fans at the game are getting frustrated with the team. Seems no, like no, even no. When, as games like maybe as games drag on, like John was saying, sometimes we're not scoring to late on. The fans yeah. still seem to be behind, like feeling we will create that chance and take it. Yeah, I would probably say games against the one against Dundee United recently where they equalised very late on to go 2-2 then we went up the Mm. park and scored and then we'd probably even say the Ross County game although I don't know if perhaps the frustration in the stands was more from the ridiculous penalty that was awarded (coughs) um, Mm. via VAR but I would say there was a bit more frustration in the stands that day it was a little bit more tetchy um, understandably so, you know we conceded, and you know we conceded in both those games. But yeah, I felt it was there was a bit of a sea of calm on Saturday. There was you know, the usual moans and groans, I but I think everyone was pretty convinced that we would eventually get there, um, and we duly did. And uh, Can I just touch on this. Sorry, Anthony, this comment well, Patrick no. made as well. I think that's quite a valid point. Um, like we, I mean, with the style of football we're playing, we're moving the ball very, very quickly, and at times it does seem we're maybe like we're getting the ball out wide we're cutting in and the balls are coming across the box and there's nobody there because maybe we are moving a wee bit too quick or maybe it's just people are sleeping I don't know what the case is but I would say you, you because, I don't think you could actually say you're moving the ball too quick I would say it's maybe just people aren't where they should be or not getting into the right position at the time but I don't think you could say you're moving the ball too quick I don't think Andrew would say that anyway no, yeah, certainly but fair, yeah, I, I see your point, and uh, Kaiser's definitely making, you know, kind of emphasising, you know, something similar as well. It's, um, you know, it's, it can be so frustrating sometimes when teams just do line up like John says they're playing for a draw or even just a damage limitation defeat. Um, it can be hard for even some of the most skillful players uh, in the world can can struggle to break that down at times. But we got there in the end, as I say, a rather. Hassle-free, yes. 2-0, as we like to call it, Franny, <laughs> one of our favourite scoreline predictions. But uh, I just wanted to, well, you guys have already sort of touched on them already, but I thought a few of the players did deserve um, a bit of a mention. Um, I, I felt Maida was, was was really good on Saturday. Um, like you say, the amount of times, a lot of tracking back as well, because Kilmarnock, were, there was a few times where they were playing the long ball and you know their, their striker's quite a physical guy. They were wanting to get involved in the challenge. And Maeda kept coming back. 
and just making sure that he was, you know, doing his bit for the team defensively as well as um, going forward as well. And Rio Hatati, who was eventually given the man of the match, like you say, Franny, I thought he was he was quite, he, he was sort of ineffective, shall we say, Aye. in the first half. Um, but then second half, he just, you know, he, he, he did what he normally do. He just decided, right, I'm going to, I'm going to take the game by the scuff of the neck now. And he was absolutely sensational in that second half. And just a special mention as well to our new Canadian right-back who made his home debut after his impressive debut uh, at Mordor the week before, which also impressed um, Alistair Johnston. Um, there was obviously much made uh, for Annie on the, you know, the week leading up to this game. Um, now that sort of Juranovic was available again, would he start at right-back or would Johnston settle in? That's two games in a row now for um, our new signing. And... Personally speaking, I think he slotted right in. I thought he had a, a, a really good game at Ibrox. He didn't really do the inverted fullback, which is maybe just not used to. It's kind of it's not a familiar position for them. I thought he'd done it well on Saturday enough, but I could understand him not being. I wouldn't call it uh, being scared or not being brave to do it. Maybe just stick, try and get through the game. Stick to it, be be safe enough. At, at, Ibrox and just play your way through the game, and I thought it was impressive for Ibrox on Saturday. It was well, the park, I think it was twice I noticed him up in the left wing as well. So he's he certainly was doing the inverted fullback and some on Saturday. But I looks really, really athletic and really comfy on the ball. He's, I think he's, I like, I really like, I rate Juranovic, but I mean, no denying the guy's been off it absolutely. It was horrible, horrible at Ibrox, like, absolutely horrible. It's not an argument, but uh. I always thought really is on the ball, Juranovic, I think, is really comfortable. But Johnson, I thought, I wouldn't say he's equally comfortable, but he's he's good on the ball. But he's got, I think he's got more athleticism, like he's more powerful than Juranovic. He's kind of got a bit of Ralston in that sense in him. And does look a confident, confident lad. And again, like many of the signings, he, he talks well as well. He's could listen to him all day. He just seems to, seems to know about it and stuff. And Seems to be the type that, not in all Celtic, but he's privileged to be here, and stuff. The way the way he speaks, like I know, obviously his, his interview said when Victor and Yama said, "I, you've got to go to Celtic." He said, "I tell his agent, I, I'm not interested in anybody else. It has to be Celtic." Probably a wee bit of a white lie, but that's what you've got to say in it. I, I, there will be some truth to it, but I don't, I don't doubt it would have meant. By the way, what are the other teams in? Him is how much money is involved and stuff, but I don't, as Angie said, he's not got to go over the top to convince somebody. So I think there is obviously an element of truth that it probably was a wee bit. I'm desperate to come to, to Celtic and I had that in the first half. I said, <coughs> I think an effective is the right works. It was, he was trying things, he was on the ball plenty of times. It just hangs when they're happening for him. And then the second half, it just it, it, it was a hat we know the one that's. Between him and Taylor, it's a toss a coin right now for player of the season, and I mean for the league, not not the actual uh, Celtic one. It's it's just there was a couple of times I actually seen that. It's not the first time he's done it, but he just it actually managed to take a guy out the game without moving the ball. It was just kind of stop the ball, and it just does a wee drop of the shoulder, goes one way, ball doesn't move, and he's away the other way, and the guy's out the game, and it's like it looks simple and sounds simple, but to actually just beat a guy without moving the ball, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world, and like I said, it just opens up so much space for us. And I, uh, 
it was unlucky not to get a goal, be deflection and stuff. But I was they too. Johnson looks a real, a real cool. And I was appreciates two games in, but we can only bowl in the body evidence we've got. He looks looks a solid enough player, and Atati is just doing absolute bits, man. It's ridiculous how to think we got this guy for about a million and a half or something. And that's uh, although we're very lucky, of course, so Franco with all the uh, money, spending, spending, big spending. Uh, <laughs> listen, if it's you know, getting financial advice, uh, <laughs> Govan John, it's uh, I didn't bother, it's it's ironic. Let's just be charitable yeah. at best, you know. They, they, they're, they're all experts on IFAB <laughs> at the moment, just a shame they weren't particularly uh, clued up on what to do with HMRC. Um, but your own thoughts um, on the three players mentioned and just their, their overall performance uh, and their contribution to the, the one on Saturday. I think they like for the likes of Hatati and that. They, I mean, they, they've we we seen the minute he came in that there was a player in him, and I know he kind of he, he sort of burnt out towards the end of last season. Uh, but I think he'd like he'd, he'd played like a full season just prior to coming to us anyway. So mm-hmm. I mean, like a lot of these Japanese guys that came in that year, you kind of seen that maybe. They were getting tired in the legs, and that was understandable. Um, but he's shown again this season what a player he is. And even when they when they at all surprise me if he ends up with a player of the year towards the end of the season, especially if he keeps it up. Um, as, as for Johnson, though, I, I mean, I, I've been very, very impressed. Uh, and, and Brown Warrior made a point about maybe at fault for the Kent goal when he showed him inside. Um, I've never been a fan. Um, a, Defenders showing any players in inside, um, and I've been critical of that in the past. But it, it's never easy for a player to come in and their debut being away to the likes of Rangers because Rangers are the only team that's really going to come at us, and they have to because the, the, the fans will only settle for anything less than they actually trying uh, to score goals. So it's a different sort of game um, playing them than it is anybody else in the league. And, and it's a hostile environment as well, and we've seen that the fans are animals, man. They they don't they they get they get on the, the Celtic players' backs. They they're prone to throwing things, as we've seen. Safety is not a concern. Um, but Johnson came in. I think overall we had a fantastic game. He showed that his pace is unreal as well. I, I didn't even realize was it came for he was up at some point. I'm just uh, going back to the Rangers game here, and he tracked back at a rate I've never seen, I've I've not seen since I got. Like even Maida would have struggled yeah, to keep up. With... I don't think he's rapid, John. But see, over long distances, he's fast. If that makes sense, he keeps his pace. No, I mean, see, see, if he, he was positioned on the park, you oh, might no, be right in that sense. But when it, when the track back, okay, it, he came to the... slow. I'm not saying he's slow, but I don't like see how you get some players that are rapid, like <clears throat> 10, 15 yards. He's rapid for long distances. Aye. But it looks like he's got an engine in him as well. Like he's, he's he doesn't tire too easily. He, he, he can he can run with the ball. He, he can find a pass. He's good at stopping the ball, intercepting. He, he, he looks like the complete package at right back. And like you said, he started both games. And Juranovic is back. We've seen obviously that he had a fantastic World Cup. So I'm not buying anything that he's no fit or he's tired or anything like that. I think his time's up at us. I mean, you've seen all the reports, which I'm sure we'll sort of touch on. Um, but we saw when he came on against Rangers at left back that he didn't seem. Like his heart or his head was in it, um, and I don't know. We, we can't use him being out of position as an excuse because he, he started his debut uh, at that position as well. Uh, so, I, I I think that Johnson is 
been a perfect sort of replacement for Juranovic because I think he's going to be the man going forward. And it wouldn't surprise me if we just see Johnson's one of the first names on the team sheet as well. And like he says, I like the, the guy, the way he speaks and that, and the, the sort of the way he respects the club at least. We don't know, obviously, then Zanut say how much he knows about us. And we can talk about, like Francis says, about the white lies, about as soon as Wanyama said, I, I suspect Wanyama probably did have a word with him, Aye. but. We don't know the extent of that conversation, but this talk about as soon as I found that Celtic were interested, that was the only place I wanted to go. Depending on who obviously was interested, because it might have been a, a whole host of other shite teams, but mm-hmm. aye, it, 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 he talks the talk and he's, he's sort of buying into the ideals of the Celtic fans, sort of that we all sort of buy into and the, the way we speak about the club and that. He seems to be sort of buying into all that, which I like. Aye, I, I just think that. With, with these guys that we're bringing in as well, I mean, I know we've still to see a couple of other ones, Iwata, who I guess we'll touch on again um, in a bit. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that these guys have got the same sort of impact because uh, we don't want to see another instance, say, um, like Anadiguchi, who we don't know the circumstances surrounding that. I've heard certain things. Um, but I, I think the way that we were moving forward certainly is in the right direction, and I'm hoping that that's, sort of, that's a trend that's maintained. Well, absolutely. It seems to be this. Is, this just seems to be the evolution of of Angie's side, and uh, you, 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 that was a seamless transition, John. So I'm coming straight back to you uh, with regards to other some other new arrivals. Uh, Tomoki Iwata um, was unveiled at half time on Saturday at Celtic Park, and uh, we're talking about impressive individuals that communicate well, and Alistair Johnston and the like. This guy certainly uh, held court as good as any of them on Saturday. Came on, sort of lifted his scarf up, waved to the crowd a little bit. We didn't expect anything more. Uh, but then he gave us a little address and ended up with a hail, hail. Uh, so certainly this guy looks confident for me. Former, I think he was a J-League Player of the Year. You might be able to confirm that for me. Um, from what I hear, because as I say, I am not clued up on Japanese football at all. He seems to be quite a versatile Midfielder who can also play sort of in a defensive role as well. Sounds sort of of the real Hatati mold. Um, but if you're winning J League Player of the Year, it seems as if uh, even a real who at the moment looks very much a nail on for Player of the Year, he's going to have some serious competition. I absolutely, and like you said, I, I think he, the reports are saying that he did come. I mean, I don't watch any J League football, so I, I just need to take what I hear. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's funny now. Um, <laughs> but I, he's coming in as the reported J League Player of the Year. Um, it's and you, you, we talk about versatility. We uh, and seems to have that. That seems to be one of the key attributes for any signing Ange brings in is their ability to play multiple roles and do multiple different things. You don't want just you're all right having certain guys come in who are maybe one trick ponies, but Ange that doesn't seem to be the thing for Ange. He always talks about his party signing policy, the mentality and. There, there been a bigger picture, and we, I mean, last year or whatever it was that when we spoke to, I forget his name now. Um, no, the oh, what's his name? Boy Webb, David Webb. Aye, and he talked about that, like when analysing players, like attitude was a key component, and versatility was a key component in that, and that was that sort of sort of modern day sort of scouting techniques now, mm-hmm. where you're not just looking at a player and going, oh, he's good at. This that's we're signing them for that particular purpose. And just seems to be, you need to have the right sort of mindset. You need to have the right attitude, but you also need to be able to play a multitude of different positions when asked or when needed to. 
And I think that this Iwata uh, is another one of these guys that's come in who we can rely on to slot into a different position. And we've got somebody to cover every single... We're possibly even at a point now where two or three guys can cover positions all over the park. And it's fantastic to see. And I'm, like I say, I'm hoping to see some of this a lot soon because I imagine if you're coming in as J-League Player of the Year, you're, you're not coming in to sit on the bench. Like, I, I suspect he's probably going to play a pivotal role over the next few months. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we even see him on the Saturday getting some time. Um, but I am looking forward to it. And, like, it's exciting. Anytime we sign somebody's exciting. It's because you know the kind of player that Andrew's bringing in and you know he's not just going to be some... Like, I mentioned Diddy Gucci earlier because he's the one guy I think Andrew's brought in who's no really had a chance to sort of show what he's capable of. I don't know what the issues. Like I say, I've heard some things about him no settling and no having the right sort of attitude and stuff like that. But again, that's all hearsay. It depends on what kind of shit you want to believe. But it's just one of these things. Eh? Like it seems everybody, ninety nine percent of the guys we're bringing in anyway, eh, are coming in and they've got a, they've got a role to play. And it seems like Anne's just got them in some sort of rotation, and they're definitely going to be a mainstay going forward. I, I think so, and that's the thing as well. Francis John alludes to the fact we might see him sooner rather than later in the team. But do we think, just similar to Hatati last season, it might be the case that we maybe not see the best of him until next season, just with the fact that he's just came off the back of a, a long season in Japan. So it might well be the case that maybe we want to, I don't know if learn's the right word, but just with the fact that there was quite a, just with the, the, the closeness of the title race last year, Hatati kind of came in, burst onto the scene, to, uh, to quote uh, Mika Richards, and then, but you, as you said, from sort of March onwards, you could definitely tell that he tailed off a bit. Um, but will we maybe try, do you think, to break him into the squad a little bit, a bit more slowly to get him up to speed? Or do you think it might be the case that he could come in straight away and then Hattati also, you know, being there as the season goes on? I, I actually don't know, Anthony, because you make a good point there, because I never actually thought about that. <coughs> in that sense, we could certainly not rush him in duty all the things you've just alluded to there about not burning them out and stuff. Um, but equally because we know how well Hattati and McGregor and that are doing in midfield, maybe more chance to rotate them so we'll maybe not play the amount of games that Hattati played up to it. So there's two ways to look at it. I think without sounding lazy, we, and we'll just, Angel know best how to treat them and how to do it. It'll be, be one of them. It'll just, he might not settling as quick. I, I don't. The evidence we've got in front of us will not suggest it. It will suggest it'll just slot right in. I think yeah. they're all, but as as much. I mean, I'll touch on that now. But I, just uh, before I finish on all that and stuff, um, I think what we've, I, I did Gucci aside, the Japanese players were brought in have all hit the ground running. So the evidence would suggest that it won't need to bed in. Obviously, I'm, I'm not really putting Kobayashi in that now as well because he's he's obviously just in the door as well so uh, right now you've got a 75% success rate with the Japanese guys if you, you look at Kyogo Maeda uh, Hatate and um, Adeguchi the three, of them, three at the four have been fantastic so there's nothing to suggest Awata and Kobayashi won't be the same I mean like we said four of the all the guy well four of them will not I'm not like put by Ashen. I can't judge him yet. Um, four of them never came as player of the year in the league. A lot has, so you've got to 
like John says, every every signing is exciting, but you've got to be a wee bit of excitement in it. And yeah, I do think we'll get we do need to get rid of some French players, but folk need to buy them. Folk need to that's buy them. And folk will know you maybe want to trim the squad and maybe come in with small offers and stuff. So it's it's a balance to do these players want to go. I think I think they had a good chance if they go. I just and maybe just as one of these players that can settle. I know he had a time when he came over to Leeds, but I think he went to Germany due to work permit issues. If I've, if I've read it right, it was not that he could couldn't come in at Leeds. It was just I think it was work permit issues. So he had to go to Germany if you will. And it just never worked. It just it's a total different. If it's sounding like a gold chopper, I've never been over to Asia, but it's a total different uh, culture. So some guys, I mean, I appreciate he's twenty six, twenty six. They might just no settle. It's no shame in the guy just might not settle. So I think maybe just try and try and get him get him out in the nicest possible and move him on. So we might touch on a couple of ones that seem to go maybe going but I think the midfield just needs a wee bit of trimming. I think there's talk of that Abelgard maybe going back, that might be a wee bit easier to move on because it's a loan deal. Aye. But I think strange strange one that one. You made a valid point, though. Like, I, I mean, it's it's kind of unfair to be hard or critical of Gucci as well when you consider the, the amount of competition he's got in that position. Aye. I mean, he like was say, I know, when he came in. He got wiped out and was injured. Aye. And, and then time. you're competing with, like, say, a Moy who is, is by all accounts, he's playing fantastic at the minute. Um, you've still got Abel Gard there, although it, it does look like he's going to be going to be leaving. Um, McCarthy, another guy whose time at the club probably is up. Um, I think it's safe to say, but he, he's still got like three years. Like you mentioned about players, these you have to buy them. Like he's still got what two mm. or three years left on his deal. Mm. Uh, and two, who, two and a half now, yeah. yeah. Right, who's looking at him? And you, you then say, a European well, team surely want to be looking at him because eh? we want twice his career uh, here and it's never worked for him. And then you, you start going down the road. Well, maybe we just terminate contracts and let them go. It's like then they want compensation, and that's mere money getting spent. So it, it, it's tough. But I like Awata coming in. It, it kind of doesn't look good for Eddie Gucci, given the fact he's had limited chances as it is. Um, and then you've got Awata coming in. You've got Hatati playing incredible. Um, you've got the likes of Riley, Kalmak, Moy. It, it, it's, it's tough for it to break into them when everybody's playing the way they're playing. It's, it's no easy. So it's hard to sort of say. Mm. Well, that's it, and you, there's so many competition for places. It's a nice headache uh, for oh, the manager, I, mean, I suppose. You know, it's uh, that rather that than having nobody. Can't yeah. um, too many good players. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of as another seamless transition, Franco, when you're talking about <laughs> transfer rumours, uh, it's the next section we want to focus on, both in and out. Uh, we'll start with potential outgoings at the moment, and we'll start with addressing the two big elephants in the room. Was of course. Georges Yakimakis, our current striker, and obviously our World Cup hero Josip Juranovic now. Again, you don't you we, we, there's nothing confirmed. There's I don't think there's been any official bids in as yet, unless I've missed anything today. But some of the figures being bandied about certainly raise an eyebrow in terms of how low they are. Stephen sort of touched on this on Friday night, suggesting that it might be a clause in the contract from when Juranovic signed, which is why Celtic have been so eager to kind of get him on a new deal um, to have this minimum, I think it's seven million uh, fee, like the minimum release clause sort of scrapped almost and then we can start to demand a far higher fee for him because he's, let's be frank, he's worth a lot more than seven million. 
Um, they would appear to be big outgoings at the moment if, if, if they were to come off. They certainly seem to have the most traction in the media. Were they too? Obviously, we've got Alistair Johnston in already um, as a replacement for, you would imagine, a straight replacement for, for Juranovic. However, there's also Chok of, I've this name right, Cho Gi-sung, uh, the South Korean striker. Um, Sky Sports confirmed last night that Celtic have tabled a bid in the region of £3 million. Would, would that be, would you would say that would be a straight swap swap for uh, Yakimakis? Uh, I thought, I mean, it's got to be like many signs. We didn't know much about the boys. I've seen a wee bit of them in the World Cup. I mean, I'm desperate for us to sign this South Korean boy. I don't know why. Absolutely <laughs> no logic to want to sign him. I mean, it must it must be all right if he's getting a game for South Korea. In that sense, he, I think he was a number one strike, uh, the number one choice striker uh, in the World Cup. Plays up there with Son. I think a wee bit of him is just expecting us to sign a Son, even though Spurs spent the best part of twenty odd million on him. But uh, I'm I'm more excited to be this guy. I mean, first sort of a marketing point of view it's a no-brainer the guy's got three million followers on instagram that so for a marketing point of view it makes total sense to try and do this deal but saying that i mean the guy could be an absolute superstar i just don't know my only issue is is it one of the ones better the devil you know i mean i ross i think it was ross asked the question on friday just a wee off the cuff question kyogo or jack and marcus who you having it's got to be one him and Stephen went Kyogo. I understand where they're coming from. It fits everything about Angie style. But it's Jack and Marcus for me. I just, there's something about the big man. I love him. Like, I do really rate him. He's, like John was saying earlier, and I agree, like, Ange signs utility players. Jack and Marcus is now utility player. He's, he's a number nine. That's all he is. But he's a really good, in my opinion, he's a really good number nine. I have, said, I have said in the past that he's, only really had two good seasons in his whole career, which is fair. But the guy, like you seen him when he got in Saturday, he was a, when he quite goes far to say he was a man possessed, but he was he seemed bang up for it and like that head on the shot. Um, he was he done everything but score. He was even laying things on. He wasn't kind of being greedy where he's getting the 10, 15 minutes where he's snatching things and trying to get it. He was laying off. He was more a team player at the weekend because he knew he had time. The car. I just think Giacomacchi's guys are something totally different. The boy Cho might be of a similar mould. I don't know. I would I would imagine it'd be, it might be a bit like a, a bigger guy. He looks a bigger guy than obviously Kyogo's, but he might be sort of have the pace and the, the run about that Kyogo does. Not that Giacomacchi's doesn't do that. He just doesn't do it the same as they boys. But I really like, I don't, I don't want Giacomacchi's to go. I'm not ready for him going. I'll be honest. I'm actually, <coughs> like I can't answer his Danny Fall in love with players, but I'm sorry, and. Then he bring in Jack and then he bring in guys like Jack and Marcus. No, no, for it we got fallen over him. But the no. Iranic one, that's the weirdest one ever. I think seven. Like it seems weird that Celtic K buyout clauses. It's never something we seem to have done in the past. But seven million seems to be alluding to something like that. It just seems such a low figure for for what he's done. Like the guys know super. I mean, I said when on Friday we should be looking. I mean, it was. Wasn't necessarily a throwaway off the cuff statement, but I, I reckon we should have been starting tearing the money and above, considering the silly money that boys go for on the back of a decent World Cup. True. So that's what I was basing my figures on. I agreed with Ross if we get 12 to 15, I think we're doing really good business, especially if you look at it 
I mean, you could argue seven million after eighteen months, and a guy that costs us two, two and a half is good business. But when you see what he's done, had a good first season, hasn't been up to the standards this season, but then has a really good World Cup. Arguably, was in some of some of the status uh, team of the World Cup and stuff, which. I mean, Dago Laxall got an £18 million move off the back of that, so there's there's precedent for uh, being in the World Cup team of the year. So the, the £7 million figure, I know, I think it was Stephen Hendry, who I believe was made, if you read Twitter, his pals with Peter Lowell, and usually on the ball with some Celtic transfers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think he initially reported, but he's also reporting that the deal's not as cut and dry as £7 million, so I don't know, as I say, the figure just seems mad and it's what's even more mad is I'm going to Monza. If that is, if there's any element of truth in that, that is madness. As to me, if he ends up at Monza for seven million, there's a lot more than, there's a lot more than just that. him. Look, there's something else happened for me. In my opinion, there's, he didn't go for Celtic playing the Champions League and he's still obviously got to be Croatia's right back, but he didn't go playing Champions League football Monza. Yeah, well, that, I think Franny's bang on the money there, John. I think there is, without question, there's more to this than meets the eye because I, I'll, I'll be honest, I felt the boys, maybe not for, you know, it was, I was on your side on Friday night, Franco, with regards to the money we should be looking to expect for Juranovic because, <coughs> and, and I'm not just saying on the show, on our show itself, I think in the wider context, I'm not saying he's the best right back that we've nah. ever had or, or anything like that, but I think... He's certainly not Efren Juarez. Exactly. I just think, considering... Okay. I thought he was very, very good in his first season. I thought he was very good and typified the kind of football and personality that Ange looks for when he's signing a player. And nobody can say that you know he's, he's, he's hit the ground running in the same manner this season. He hasn't. He's not been at those heights... Uh-huh. But, you know, I think a lot of players, not just at Celtic, there's when they've, you know, they always have a lot of credit in the ba- the bank from, you know, maybe a season before or whatever. I mean, God, Lee Griffiths, he was running off Ronnie Dyla's season still when, when Neil Lennon was, was in charge um, four years later. I, I just think a lot of the support have forgotten very quickly just how good a player we have on our hands. And if you are getting sold... For I mean, I think you know, me and Ross definitely do disagree on um, Calvin Bassey for for a start. I'm not denying he's <laughs> a good player, but twenty million was was ridiculous, quite frankly, for what what they paid for him. But Ross's argument always was he's do, he done really well in the Europa League, and I agree. You can't disagree with that, um, John, because Bassey did. But it certainly Celtic had him on toast for two at least two of those um, derbies after Christmas last year. So, whereas Juranovic looked fantastic domestically and was more consistent. So, if we're saying that you can have an elevated transfer fee on the back of a Europa League campaign, yeah. then surely God getting to the semi-final of the World Cup and being one of the players of the tournament is only going to, surely, without this clause, would be elevating your fee as well. Uh, definitely, uh, that, that, uh, and that's what kind of concerns me because the seven million touted is far, far too low, or what you would expect to get from him. Like, even if he he he's been, you, you can't see the club turning and accepting seven million. It, it's just odd 
uh, mm. to me because he, he he's worth more than that, and absolutely. And to me, it, it's either one of two things. Like first off, let me just uh, like, is there any weight in these reports at the minute anyway? Because so it's all, it's all, all hearsay and conjecture, as uh, Ross would say, isn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, I've already started seeing stuff coming out saying that the figure, the seven million touted figure, is way off the mark. And mm. I, who broke that story? Who, who, where did the figure come from? Who is it that's close to some fucking Monza who's leaking this information? You know what I mean? Like, where is it coming from? It has to come from somewhere. Somebody's either making it up or it's factual. Stephen touched on it and he says that it might be a release clause. Again, it doesn't sort of follow the mould that Celtic follow, but it's not something we normally do, especially for such a low value. So it, it comes to one or two things. Either there is a, a, a release clause and 7 million is the figure that's been bandied and, and that's accurate. In which case, Celtic are in a position to know where they're saying, well, we're not going to... With Johnson coming in, Juranovic's time at Celtic's probably up. If he's been turned and everything else, maybe his attitude and everything else has changed, right? So has he turned around and he said, or, or I'm talking Celtic here, um, turned around and says, well, do you know what? If The longer we leave it, if he's not going to be playing anyway and he's not going to be the first choice going forward, the longer we leave it, we're putting ourselves in a position where we could potentially lose even more value mm -hmm. going forward. So maybe a year down the line, like if you maybe sell next summer, maybe that, that value is dropped and maybe Celtic are just saying, look, just cut a loss, we'll just take seven. Um, because he's not going to feature in Ange's plans and with his attitude and everything else might be different um, or it's it's a lot of nonsense like I I, I don't know again where, where do the stories break for who is it that's breaking this and who's, who's it the person that's banding these figures about because as I say we're already seeing stuff coming out now saying that that figure's way off the mark mm -hmm. so it remains to be seen I know one thing though if he does certainly if he is pushing for a move to the likes of Monza it's not a footballing decision right. I mean there's a, a significant difference in the terms of lifestyle that living in the sort of the Lombardy area, Italy, than Glasgow. Both in terms of like, <laughs> how it looks, just a, just a bit, uh, just a bit. Um, more and, vitamin C, John. <laughs> a wee bit. <laughs> and again, it, the club are they're toiling at the minute. They're, they're fighting a relegation battle. They've just came up. They're no expected to be a, a sort of a heavyweight team in Italy. The signing Juranovic isn't going to change that, um, and by all account, they could well be flirting with relegation coming into this season or even next season. And he's no, he's he's like he's losing out the European football and stuff like that. So, it, it money talks, as they say, and like some players just don't care for fo the football side of things that they want to play like in the sort of the lavish locations and they have that sort of lifestyle in this day and age and that. That could be the other thing that's kind of turning. I mean, and he's, he's jumping at the chance at the first team that's come in for an exotic sort of location, and he, he's why he just take it. He's why he just bite, bite the hand that feeds. Much more money at Monza, though, John. In terms of wages, probably hmm. because Monza. I think Monza are bank. Well, the Berlusconi's their owner. Oh, is mean, it? That, aye, um, that in itself it should be a red flag. <laughs> but <laughs> the. I think they're heavily bankrolled. They're no short of a few pounds. And right. I mean, in terms of wages, he's probably going to be making the same, if no more. And mm. but like I say, the, the location, um, the sort of lifestyle that he can lead, it, it, all these things are probably playing. His, I mean, that's the only logical thing I can see for anybody saying I, I, I take Monza or Celtic. It's not. It's not a footballing decision. As for. What were you going to say? I was going to say, see when you said that, I can actually my way. Prentice actually tell me the day that. Uh, probably, and it just it makes sense with it being Bel Belasconi. 
But apparently, Mon- like, but would have been Berlusconi uh, offered Monza. I think they must have been playing UV either in the league or, uh, or in, in a cup. They said if they beat them, he'll, he'll bring a, uh, a bunch of hookers to the hotel. Just sounds like Berlusconi when you think about it. So I, I can't even maybe understand him, maybe why he got to Monza. Zephyr Juarez, the director of football. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting all your time tonight. Our favourite uh, uh, South American right back, centre, half, whatever he was. Um, so, yeah, de- these are absolutely bang on, boys. I mean, it's, there's going to be, we're on January the 9th, we've still got another two and a half weeks of this, and it's going to be rumour after rumour, gossip after gossip, and, and in the end, I'm sure. Regardless of what happens, I'm sure Celtic, the way we're moving at the minute and the way that we seem to be planning ahead, that will still come out. The one thing uh, I want, and this, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm not trying to go into a rant here <laughs> because it's been boiling my face. Get on, Franco. See, see, and I've noticed an awful lot of Celtic fan media websites and stuff like that, news, whatever you want to call it, are all using like articles being broken by the likes of the fucking Daily Record and the Sun is Gospel. Like, they must zip, some of these guys must zip up the back because how many these papers and these sort of these these reporters have never ever written anything sort of favourable about us, and we've seen time and time again they're constantly unsettling players and there's constant lies in the pre- in the media and everything else about teams being linked with so and so. Iranovic was being linked with Chelsea and Barcelona, but now he's got him on I it's like I wish people that I think that Celtic fan media by sort of giving weight to it and re, sort of reporting on it and then not even like you're not even quoting a source with any credibility. You're actually in your article you're saying the Daily Record is reported like why even bother? Just didn't get any weight, didn't get any evidence, and just fucking to be fair, it die out. probably a lot. It's just a it's the World Cup, eh? There was not a lot to talk about. You've but got even if that's the case, mate, about. like, don't give them any weight. Like, you, it's Celtic hard to put content in which you've not got anything to talk about, but... But you know, there's still stuff to talk about. Just don't be reporting a lot of shite for shit rags. That's, I just don't get what it. What were but... you boys on Friday night? That when uh, Before the, before the <coughs> show started, Ross was worried that there wasn't going to be much to talk about. Two hours later, he's still going strong. Uh, yeah. It just it just annoys me, man. Because every time I open up my internet browser or my phone, whatever the case is, I'm I, like I'll check various Celtic websites and I'll check Twitter and everything else, and I'll just kind of get an idea or a feel for what's being said. And so many people now are taking like they're actually giving weight and credence to these reporters, and I think they've they've got a short memory because not not a single fucking one of them have ever gave us any credit in the past. None of them ever say a, a favourable word. They never back anything we do up. It's negativity after negativity after negativity. And then when they start reporting on players like, oh, Juranovic, he's had a great World Cup. He's gone to Barcelona. He's gone to Chelsea. It's going to be 25, 30 fucking million. And then you've got, oh, no, he's gone to Monza for seven. And then Celtic websites are going, oh, breaking news. Daily Record has said this. He's peace, man. Aye. I mean, if the Daily Record told me uh, it was Monday. I would check my calendar, as they say. Uh, no, or you could just tweet it and say, "By the way, <laughs> Daily Record said it's Monday. It must be true." <laughs> and following on, this is just a. It's going to be another good one here, Franco. From <laughs> transfer rumours to John's favourite subject, VAR. <laughs> Thankfully, to be I fair, I don't buy any of the papers, mate. Trust me. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even wipe my ass with them. 
Sorry, no, as, okay. <laughs> no, apart from thankfully on Saturday, in terms of Celtic anyway, there wasn't much in terms of you know after Angie's fantastic press conference, I have to say on Friday, um, Franny, what I I'd said in the group chat, we're guaranteed we'll get a penalty today, absolutely uh-huh. guaranteed, and then they'll be able to go see there's no conspiracy this that and the other. I thought I could write the script. Now as it happens, we didn't get the penalty that I'd put a wee fiver on us getting. But what we did get is a stress-free afternoon. I know there's been a couple of loan balls flowing into Clyde once and Kilmarnock should have had a penalty for a for a handball, which is, you know, you believe that, you believe anything. But is the the fact that Angie's saying, <laughs> we're not, we're, you know, but he, he very diplomatically stated that, you know, we, our case, shall we say, and um the following day, we have a relatively stress-free afternoon. Is the message starting to get through that Celtic aren't going to stand for this inconsistency any longer? I think as the message, I don't, I don't know, but I think what's clever for Celtic is they're speaking up on the back of. I know we drew against Rangers, but it's the in the main. Certainly, the fans. Anyway, we are bringing up uh, issues we we are on the back of wins, which I think is key. You're not because if you, even if say you get beat and then you're going, I'm not using this as an excuse, but mm. but, but you're using it as excuse. So it's like the Livingston plastic pitch scenario, isn't it? Aye, it's exercise so most. Speaking off the back of wins, it's it's giving you a bit of giving you a bit of sort of. A, I know you're speaking for a better position, so to speak. It's it's not sure grapes, so it's or anything like that. So I think I I think I said it Friday. It was it surprised me. Angie's comments. He's usually he's not like I said. I'm not soon he used it as an excuse, but he's he's been open about far saying he hopes he's never needs to talk about it. He's he's never really used any as an excuse. He's never brought up. He never used the plastic pictures as an excuse like at Livingston. Um. He never used like things like obviously even going way back to when he came in, like this is the first time he's seen these teams and when he was going through his difficult period at the start and things like that. There was perfect times. Uh, there's been a few times where Ange had probably could have used plenty of excuses in the managerial sort of a notebook or handbook to say like this is what you say here when you uh, when you get beaten things like that, but. It did surprise me, and then obviously it's kind of on the back of Celtic saying, like Celtic as a club questioning uh, the, the the decisions and things, and just want wanting clarity because it's if if people aren't like I'm not what to go down the planet, but if you're not getting if nothing's transparent, it kind of feeds into paranoia. If you don't know what's happening, it's it feeds into the paranoia and stuff. And uh, like the Goldson handball. Like every like you said, Anthony, like every turned into IFAP <coughs> specialist. It's it was a weird one then. Apparently they changed the handball rule after the World Cup. Why not tell us that? That's I mean, Ross mentioned it in, in Friday. It's bad enough. That, yeah, uh, it's it's bad enough that you bring in VAR halfway through a campaign. So you're already changing the sort of the dynamics of a league campaign. Then you actually bring you see the system's not really ready, but bring it in earlier. So it's already, and then you're changing the how you're interpreting rules 
midway through a season because as much as it was, I think that we understand, like, we all consider ourselves fairly clued up about football, but I think if, could t- if anybody could tell me the handball rule right now, I would probably give them a million pounds because I thought on you, and I think what they were doing beforehand was, depending on what shirt you were in, and if your name was Connor Goldson, I think before the World Cup, whatever was whatever hurt your hand was handball. Mm-hmm. Now I think England started with that when they brought Varan, which is it would be annoying because you get the instances like O'Reilly, uh, mm-hmm. Bernabe where they're, they're either flicks gone, but there's still what they can do about them. But see mm-hmm. if everybody, see if you go down that and go right, everyone, everything that's a hand's handball, then everybody's playing on the same rules as shite as it is everybody's put but it seems to be after the world cup it's oh well ifab says this ifab says that because also i don't think you need to stick to it you can interpret the rules how you want to to an extent i don't think you need to stick to to ifab but it's uh it's just far as it's interesting so to speak it's i've like me and john have had debates in the past i've it's and VAR has not really helped my argument against John because I've said that I don't think the <coughs> are subconsciously going in and being biased. And I've also said that I'm not really... Like John said, people... Ref should be disclosing. Well, he's getting ready. Support. He's getting ready. He be getting, and I've said, <coughs> I've said I don't see the point because I don't... I've went back to say I don't, I don't think people are going in to be biased. But I mean, I, I agree... A wee bit of you as a human being will subconsciously be biased in any walk of life. You will be subconsciously biased. And unfortunately, I mean, I've not total gone the opposite way. I I think maybe we should, referees should maybe disclose what team they support. The problem we've got then is we've really got enough referees. Our referees are bad to know without having to scrape the barrel for more. So that would that would probably pose its own issues. Uh, but the way VAR has been implemented now is no really helping my argument when it comes to what me and John have debated about. Well, one of the, I'm glad you brought one of those points up, Franco, because I'm going to come straight to John about it. And John, if you don't, if you haven't heard the, the audio clip, I can, I've got like a few sort of moments from it. Um, Michael Stewart and Kenny Clark were having a bit of a Debate, shall we say, about this on Sports Sound on Saturday. And Kenny Clark basically was, I think he was sent in there and he he clearly was told beforehand that he would not be discussing individual matters. So the BBC in their typical white ball way, you know, they they strayed away from the Conor Goldson incident and and, and other. Yeah, exactly. But Kenny Clark was there to essentially, I think, clear up the debate and he ended up making a complete and utter mess of it. And well, needless to say, it only seems to have been Michael Stewart that's really picked up on it so far. Kenny Clark basically admitted that all referees rule, in, in not so many words, everything is subjective and basically it is, they are not there to implement the laws of the game. They implement them in the way that they see them and in terms which literally means every referee will interpret a rule the different way like can you imagine if you had in a wider sense police officers that did that or you know anything else i'm going way off tangent there but michael stewart called him out on it he says that is a lazy lazy excuse that is it, it was absolute nonsense and then kenny clark then tried to defend it by saying 
oh, well, you're always going to have fans. Fans are going to disagree with every decision that goes against them, sort of thing. A very pathetic response. And again, Michael Stewart called them up on it and says, well, that just shows you that even pre-VAR and post-VAR and everything that's happened in between, he's have learned absolutely nothing on how to officiate a game of football properly. Um, just Bye. before you come in, I, yeah, I, I, what, what I think about it as well with regards to handball, I'm, I'm quite, and especially, you know, you'll know the way I, every, I would comment on all the handball <laughs> in the World Cup especially. I think there are very few incidents where handball should be given. Now, of course, you've got the, the, the deliberate ones like we've seen in the FA Cup at the weekend. The, the, the ones that they deliberately stop the ball going in the net or whatever, that's that's a straight red and a penalty. No, no questions asked there. But for me, the only other time a handball should really be given, for me, is if it, in a very severe way, affects the trajectory of the ball going forward. For example, James Forrest, Michael Smith, Tynecastle handball all day long. Um, I I don't necessarily think maybe one or two of all of these handball incidents that have been given across the board, whether it be Celtic or Rangers or, or, or anything. I think very few of them are actual handballs. But I, I'm just saying, well, if you're going to give handball for some of the ridiculous ones that have been given, how can you then not give them? And you can hide behind IFAB all you want. Their penalty kicks, especially the one at Ibrox last week, that's a penalty even before that because they, they say, oh, what's the latest defence that he was blocking his face? His hands are nowhere near his face. The ball's nowhere near his face. And even if you want to bring it in that it's a natural reflex, well, that in itself, it was affecting the trajectory of the ball towards the goal and he clearly handles it. So, see, before you start, See before you start, I think <laughs> I think they've tried to be clever with using the term subject. That was that's been getting peddled for the start, which yeah. to an extent every decision is subjective because you to, can be deemed subjective because it's your interpretation of the law. The only that's why we've got should, rules. Aye, the only the only thing that shouldn't be is is it over the line? Is it not? Is it offside? Mm -hmm. Is it not? But even we're getting subjective offsides because I must be the the all. Now, the amount of Champions League I've watched, English Premier League watched, we must be the only team that referees went to the monitor to check an offside. Check an offside, exactly. What, ha what happened to Made the lines? Once. I thought, mm -hmm. I think, well, I thought it only happened once, John, but I mean, how many times? I thought, what's the point in the lines if we need a referee to tell if it's offside? Very right, John, true. the floor is yours, kid. Take well, it away. I'll keep it short. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but seriously, though, I mean, you touched on some valid points, Anthony, and it's like, when you've got the likes of Kenny Clark coming in and, and, and his role there is to try and sort of put weight behind the decisions and then try and say, or give an explanation as to why, but like you say, it's purposefully no touching on certain incidents and just try to give a note. There has to be consistency then. If you're going to use that as an argument, then it has to be consistent. And you have to be able to use previous incidents as a, as a source of reason. You can't just turn around and say, this is a handball, this is a handball, this is a handball. And then when somebody says, well, what about this incident? I'm not here to talk about this. I'm not here to talk about specific incidents. It's like, because you, you're sorry, you're then, you're not taking account of what the actual issue is. And for I think for Mace fans, the issue is, take aside what Francis says there about subjective and the sort of, the grey area and interpretation of rules. That It should be simple, black and fucking white. 
A handball is a handball, and there should be clear and identifiable rules as to what constitutes as a handball, plain and simple. And anybody who's refereeing a game at that level, I know that they're no, and I mean, it's evident they're no professionals, that you should still have a sort of base understanding of the rules of the game. And when you've got a, a set of referees who are coming in and they don't understand the rules, then that that in itself is an issue. Because if you say if you're giving weight to a referee's decision to make a call and then using the like its interpretation of the rules as an as an excuse is fucking ridiculous. Like it's it's beyond a joke that in, in Premier League football in Scotland that you you're actually based an argument on subject uh, whether it's subjective or or it's comes down to an individual's interpretation of the rules. It's like, no, that's not the case. You can clearly say, and Anthony, you made a valid point where you turned around and said, if somebody directly changes the trajectory of a ball, it's handball. We used the the sort of the, the Burnaby incident where he jumped up, his back was to the ball, he had no idea where the ball was, his arm was up because he was giving himself leverage to get up into the air, it hit off his arm. There has to be a clear understanding as to whether or not that is deemed as deliberate, which we all know it was, not and did it change the direction of the ball? Yes. And it's like, you can sit and say, there has to be a clear understanding then as, well, if it's no deliberate and he's got his back to the ball, is it still considered handball if it's no deliberate because he still changed the trajectory? Because that ball could have came across the box and then met another player who could have potentially scored, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like that in itself creates a discussion and that's something that should be addressed. But when you've got other instances like us against Hearts, change the trajectory of the ball in the box, when the ball was coming across, not given. And then you've got Goldson, who, like you say, putting your hands up towards your face is a natural reaction, but that doesn't change the fact that he changed the trajectory of the ball and interfered with sort of the state of play. A natural reaction to a movement and flinching, so to speak, doesn't give you the sort of weight to say, or reason to say, that, that it wasn't intentional. It's, and this is what I'm, I'm talking about when it comes to lack of clarity, and it has to be black and white. So there has to be a sit-down somewhere where they sit down and they, they, they come out and say, look, this is handball, this isn't, and then stick to it. But the fact that they can't, and even referees in this country and across the UK are arguing whether it is and isn't, shows that there's no clarity, there's no sort of... Ident like, it all comes down to interpretation, and as a rule, especially one that can sort of determine the outcome of a game, as a rule, that is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and it it's, it shows complete and utter incompetence because you you then like you've got a rule set in place that you can't you can't sort of ob, like objectively manage so to speak. You, mm -hmm. you if if you're saying, well, I don't know. And how many times is it where we've had a decision and it's like it's went to VAR and VAR says we're not sure. Uh, go and take a look at the monitor or whatever it is. We don't get we don't even get that. You're right. And, there's, uh, the, the only one I can think of that he went to the monitor was Livingston. Um, the one Yakimakis missed. Uh, Second week implement. He, he didn't go to the monitor at Tynecastle. Uh, didn't go to the monitor at Ibrox. He's went to the monitor for decisions awarded to us, like Dundee United and, and um, the O'Reilly one was Ross County, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he's referees are. We have not had referees go to the. The uh, the monitor very often, and you're uh, and one other thing, John, and I, I, I agree with 
fact that everything you said there, in fact, I, I agree with everything you've said there because it's, it's a lot of the, the issues that, <coughs> that that frustrate me as well. Franco, you made the point that there's not been, a, or I don't think we've seen an incident yet where a mistake's been made or a decision's been made and the referee, the bar, has said to the ref, go and have a look at that. And you know the minute it goes to, it's now became like almost like part of the culture. The minute it uh, goes to the monitor, you know the decision's going to be changed. Yeah, I'm, I'm go- I would be willing to bet my mortgage on the first team that that will happen to where he'll maybe award a penalty or he won't award the penalty that the VAR will say, no, go and look at it. You might have made an error and he'll stick with the decision that negates or is negatively affects Celtic. We will absolutely be the first team that it happens to. I've got absolutely no question about it. Or or yeah. it will be something in favour of Rangers. One of, yeah. one of the two. I've, I'd, like, I'd like to say I'd like to class that as tinfoil stuff, but mm-hmm. the body evidences I've got in front of me, well, I say in front of me, that we've seen, <laughs> it's hard to argue against that. I hope it doesn't. Well, this is I the thing, I mean, in, there was an interview, sorry, I don't know if you've seen the clip of McCoy's talking about the, the sort of tinfoil hat stuff with Celtic fans. Nah, I've not. I've seen clips of it. I think everything's against us, so to speak. It's like, we're not just thinking it, it's fucking evident. Like, you're seeing it. I think Andrew was clever in how he done it and they brung other teams into the argument. Well, let's look at Dundee United at the weekend there. I don't know. again made another fantastic save. Nothing. Not a peep. And then you you get these clubs, oh, like you mentioned earlier, Francis, it's sour grapes. It's like, well, it's no. Because we're we're still bringing we're still raising the question when we're winning, and we're no we're no losing games. So it's like this whole mantra: always cheated, never defeated. Pish can you can put that to bed because we're no losing games. We're still winning. But when when you've got other teams in the league turning around, going, come on, like that mm-hmm. should have, like it's there's no it's not just Celtic that are, are subject to it against them. It, other teams are suffering as well. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, you you mentioned earlier about these arguments that we've had in the past about when it comes to bias and you know my feelings on this. <laughs> I'm not going to all that, but it, it's it's clear as fucking day. <laughs> uh, am I right in saying like just that the handball rule we interpreted it different to England? Like you, for some reason, the ha- side of the handball rule, offside rule, you can interpret it different depending on your league, which is mental as well. No idea. Mate. Whole, like I'm sure the handball rule something you can interpret it. Differently to other leagues, obviously offside. You kind this of is the thing, though. In England, it's probably more aligned to the actual rules. In Aye. Scotland, it's more aligned to whatever referees deciding at that particular moment in time. Aye, I don't know if you've it. seen Salah's goal at the weekend against Wolves. It was a lot like Abada's against Livingston, but Salah's goal. Abada's goal should have stood. Oh, 100 percent. It's another one. It, it, the, the... The centre half didn't deliberately go for a ball. What's he doing on the park then? Is that no? <laughs> Did you quote my other uh, Sky Sports hero, Roy Keane? Mm-hmm. That, that's his job. <laughs> well, listen, boys, we could debate this. I'm sure we will, pretty much on a weekly basis. But uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll call anyway, it. A that's a, that's another thing that needs to stop. Don't worry, I agree, mate. See this well, team had, five, six, seven one minutes to make a decision. Against, the attack one, I think it was against Hibs that offside where the ref had to go to the monitor. If it's about three no. yards on side, and you're like, how are you taking this long? It's bad yeah, enough that you're having to go to the monitor. To it's bad enough you're being asked to go to the monitor to check an offside, an offside, but what are you, what are you looking at for three minutes? Uh, 
in any case, I'm sure but that I didn't realise as well. We've got no uh, no game to look forward to midweek. I think there's a few midweek games coming up, but not this week. So no uh, lineup predictions of that for this one, boys. But I'm sure the boys will be back with that on Friday night. But I think in terms of tonight's VAR debate, uh, we'll call it there and uh, no doubt resume next week. Uh, same time, same place. But uh, as for tonight's show, in any case. Have you enjoyed, uh, John, going back over another routine one uh, at the office for the boys? Absolutely. And it's just good to be back, as I say, is talking to you boys and just talking about Celtic and chatting to the guys in the chat and that. And Aye, I've missed it, man. It's good. <laughs> good to have you back, my friend. Always good to have you back. And yourself, Franco, we thought we were going to lose you to some technical difficulties at the start, but you came on bright as a button. Ah, uh, just like... Like a few years, we're no tech savvy, so once you forget a password, all panic sets in and that. And had yeah, to you, can still run, uh, you can still run your emails better than uh, Molly Collins. Just before you wrap up, I, say, I, I just want to say thanks again to everybody for who's joined the chat. And I know I've, I've not brought up everybody's comments because when I've been, I'm going on my rants, I'm kind of. <laughs> so I missed quite a lot of them, so I apologise. But just looking back, I always made some great points, and I always appreciate you taking part in conversation and chatting with each other as well. And thanks again to everybody who's been reaching out to me and and making sure I'm good and everything else, and saying they're glad to have me back and all that. I appreciate it. It's it's like I say, it's, it's been great to come back. Here, uh, here, we'll second that. And uh, I think in terms of tonight, that that's as all, all done. But the boys will be back on Friday night. We'll be looking ahead to our trip to Hamden in the semi-final for our next match against Kilmarnock two in a week. Hopefully uh, we can maybe rack up a few more goals and book our slot in the final uh, at the end of February. But that's us for tonight guys. Thanks again. And to coin Stephen's phrase, stay well and keep safe. Hail help.